Welcome to Hello from the Pluriverse, a podcast about sharing the stories of designers and design thinkers from different backgrounds around the world. I'm Leslie-Anne Noel, a designer from Trinidad and Tobago and a professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans. The name of our podcast is a reference to Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. In our podcast, we explore the stories of designers from many different countries, women designers, designers of color, and designers from the LGBTQI community. In our interviews, we explore how place and identity affect their work, what they say about design, design thinking, and social innovation, and what advice they would give to non-designers who are using design methods. We'll continue to share more stories throughout the series about designers from many different worlds, from our little corner of the world, at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University in New Orleans. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hello from the Pluriverse podcast. I am your host, Max Esperance. I am a one-year Master of Business Analytics student at Tulane University. I am a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking. I plan to be a business intelligence analyst in the future and work my way up the corporate ranks at a major company. I am also interested in real estate, art, and sculpture. I was originally born in Haiti, and I have a military background. Hi, my name is Natalie Hudnick. I'm in my second year in the Master of Public Health in Maternal and Child Health Program here at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. And I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center. I hope to one day soon work in public health at a state health department, hopefully working in a maternal and child health division. I'm originally from outside St. Louis, Missouri, and I have a bachelor's degree in cultural anthropology. So today we are going to be listening to an interview with Maria Rogal, who is a professor of design at the University of Florida and is the founder director of Design for Development, a design firm that works to help co-design with people on cultural, social, and entrepreneur entrepreneurial initiatives. Even though she was born in the United States, Maria grew up around the world and lived her formative years in Laos, Peru, and Liberia. Her work as the director for Design for Development allows her to collaborate with people all over the world, connecting them to social capital to get their products out into the world. This interview was originally recorded in fall 2019. Natalie and I are here today to hear what Maria has to say about her approach to design thinking. After listening to her podcast, we'll be here to discuss our thoughts and what we learned and hopefully spark some discussion for our listeners. Personally, I'm looking forward to hearing Maria speak about her travels and all of her experiences abroad. I'm interested in different cultures she has experienced, and I want to hear what she has to say about traveling because that is one of my interests as well. So, Natalie, what would you say you're looking forward to in this interview? I think I'm really looking forward to hearing Maria talk about her projects and her work with Design for Development. I think she may have some great insight on collaboration and connections that could lend itself to fields outside of design, especially public health. Well, great. Thank you, Natalie. Let's have a listen. I um, I was born in the United States and I spent some of my formative years uh, living outside of the United States. So I, I lived in Laos. Um, and I went to high school in Peru, and I lived for a short time in Liberia. And um, so I actually studied uh, formally 
uh, political science in the United States. I went to um, Villanova University and I really was interested in politics. I think that's what I saw a lot, you know, a lot of kind of from my formative years. But I also recall very much um, being a kind of kid who collected visual things and was very influenced by the visual cultures that um, I, I experienced because we traveled a lot. And because I did also did not speak the languages of many places that I traveled to, I think I navigated mostly by, you know, the, the visual language. And so, you know, kind of looking, looking back um, on that, that really influenced me when I was younger. And I got really inspired by, by seeing work. But um, shortly after I graduated, I went to work for a small development agency um, as an undergrad shortly after I graduated as an undergrad, a small development agency in uh, Washington, DC. And what was so exciting for me about that was um, that I really got to, I really got to see uh, how people in local communities in Colombia and Venezuela and different countries were creating design work that was improving people's lives, improving their own lives. And so that really prompted me to think about remember like that I loved art, I loved, I didn't really know design existed. It prompted me to find design. Um, and so I went through this whole process later and then I went, um, you know, investigating, talking to people, thinking I wanted to be an architect, but really finding design. And I went back to study at the University of, of Maryland um, as, you know, in an undergraduate program. And then later, you know, worked and then went to uh, graduate school at Virginia Commonwealth University. So I, in graduate school, I was really able to bring together some of the political and the design. Um, so that was, that was really amazing to me. And so it's taken me a little while in my career to do a lot of various different things. But I think like a common thread is the kind of political um, and understanding that design is part of a bigger system and design has the opportunity to influence that system. So that's, that's kind of how I arrived um, at design. I mean, I'm just, I, I think it's great that I found it. And I think that I know a lot of people who've got, kind of come into design in like second careers in a way. Mine wasn't exactly that, but there's a sense of like everything you do, you always bring with you. So that's kind yeah. of neat. So design and design thinking. I mean, I think, you know, I, I actually was writing an article about this recently because I think there's a sense of, um, I'm a big fan of, of uh, what I can attribute this, this statement or this way of looking at it to Nigel Cross, um, who talks about designerly ways of knowing. And I think that when we're thinking about design thinking, we can think about the design, design thinking that's part of, a part of the, the design process that, design, that designers do all the time and it's really embedded in our process. And then we can think about design thinking as this kind of facilitated process that we do um, as designers when we're trying to bring people in to the design conversation, um, people who may not be formally trained in design, but actually have so much to offer. So I think the, I think the connections um, that, that we see are with design thinking is kind of like design looking outwards. And with design, with design thinking, it's like, how, how do you take what we think that we do 
um, and actually expand it and bring so many more people in into that conversation through different kinds of processes. And I think design and design thinking are very dialogic processes. I mean, they don't happen by yourself in a room um, alone. They're always kind of collaborative and open and um, I think that's the most amazing thing that I that I love about design. It's like working with other working with other people and hearing like stories and influences and just thinking about what the possibilities are. I mean, it's kind of like the best the best kind of human experience that that there is. My yes, human centered design, which I know is. Um, you know, kind of across a, a the kind of design spectrum these days. Also, um, you know, I, I really have talked about designing with people for over, you know, over a decade, probably the last 15 years, um, and designing with respect. Um, so that for me is kind of really important. You know, design considers context, design with respect, but human-centered design that we, and this, and this totally relates back to my experiences working with the grassroots development agency, right? The idea that um, things can be effective and powerful when you are working with people to make things that that people actually identify a need and, 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 and have a use for. And when I think of human-centered design, it's, it's cons totally considering the context. It's totally considering what people need. And it's, it's having respect for the autonomy of people as experts and people, people being able to make their own decisions that um, really makes, I think, you know, human-centered design glow, right? And, and you know, I, I think with that phrase now too, because it's, you know, it's really quite common, um, I wanna, I think we all are probably cognizant of it, but we don't say it, that it also for me includes the environment, right? Um, yeah. So it's not that, that people should be the center of the universe, but that when we're designing, you know, we're designing with people in context. So I think that's, you know, that's important. And probably we can come up with some, you know, better, better phrases through this process and, and, and through dialogue. We're so dependent um, on the environments and really have to, you know, care, care for them. And I, I, I know that designers amongst many other professions have, you know, been, been complicit in making things that, um, you know, we we now we look at back at and we're like wow, yeah. you know, cars are cars are great, but um, so anyway. are they sustainable? Yeah. yeah. Now with horizontal design, um, and I will credit my collaborator in in Mexico, uh, Sarah Corona Birkin, who's at the University of Guadalajara. She's in the area of communications, but in collaborating with her, because she also works with horizontal methods. Um, in integrating that in my collaborations with her, horizontalness really takes away the hierarchies or really attempts to take away the hierarchies, reveal them, peel them back, so that everybody gathered together um, in a space. And, you know, again, we're not working alone, but we bring in, we bring in you know, pretty much everybody who matters um, everybody who's, who's important, everybody who can influence, people who will be influenced by, people who will be impacted by um, a 
a project um, at all possible, but kind of bringing people together and even, you know, even in the world where sometimes people feel like they, their opinion doesn't matter or they are not at, in this kind of top of the food chain hierarchy, creating an environment where people are really on an even playing field, where everybody's voice matters, where everybody has respect um, and bringing them together also acknowledging our motivations. Like I would have motivations as a faculty member. I have motivations as, as a designer, but when I'm working with beekeepers, they have motivations and I wanna know what their motivations are. So we kind of come together and share what our experiences are, but then we also agree on how we might collaborate and how we can actually go, go forward together to create this kind of third thing. So it's really like, you know, people coming together you know, agreeing, getting, getting through this kind of negotiation exchange process, and then deciding what path we're going to walk to and walk together on, but knowing that what we're going to make is going to be something that we never could have done separately. So horizontalness is actually trying to flatten out the, the power structures that we have uh, with, within societies and within, within cultures and trying to kind of upend them so that, so that people who don't have access to design can actually get access and that, and that designers are able to work in those kind of contexts as well to bring design and to learn and to, and to improve design, improve the way we do design. So I've also, um, been influenced by uh, several indigenous scholars like Sean Wilson and Linda Tui Smith um, from New Zealand. Uh, and a lot of people define de decolonizing, you know, in, in different ways. I don't think there's maybe one definition, but um, when I'm thinking of decolonizing, it is the the it is about decentering um, and decentering. Uh, from a, an only Western type of knowledge or only val a, a, a way to, that we only valorize Western knowledge or formal knowledge. And, you know, I, I, I know I'm in a privileged space because I'm at a, a university in the United States. Um, I have a lot of opportunities and I think that I should use those opportunities to help ex expand the field. So, so decolonizing in, in this framework is also about using um, within the design process and within horizontal methods, it's inviting and respecting other kinds of knowledges that can come into the conversation and those knowledges don't have to, you know, they don't they don't have to be credentialed, um, which is some. The irony is somebody coming from a place that credentials people um, to, mm -hmm. you know, to say this. I mean, I I get it, and 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 we live in this kind of very ironic space where we value credentials, but we want to open open things up to other ways, to other ways of knowing, other ways of thinking, other ways of writing, other ways of doing research. Um, you know, a lot of research as story, um, reciprocity, the, the fieldwork experience um, is, is valuable research and valuable ways to collect research, but also the kind of respect that you have to bring into situations so that people will want to work with you 
because they because they get that you respect them, they get that you value them, and that they get that there's some kind of exchange. I mean, so that those are those are some elements of decolonization. I think there's another there's another debate about um, reparations, and that's mm-hmm. that's a, a debate a debate that is certainly worth having. Um, but my my interest is in opening up other ways of knowing and respecting that, and also, um, again, kind of decentering, particularly even being a, being a female um, in 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 spaces where you know things that are considered female or female knowledge is maybe not as res- not as respected, or even design knowledge is not as respected as scientific knowledge. Um, and then there's, you know, different kinds of biases. So trying to kind of, you know, peel that, peel that back. But also it's such an amazing world that we live in. So I can go back to my youth, right? And the idea that there's so much to learn from so many different people um, that we, you know, we're kind of in a time of, I mean, we're in a time of crisis. So we need to bring all that together now pretty rapidly. Um, so design for development and um, maybe by the time that we uh, well in in a short period we I will I will rebrand um, in the okay. sense because develop because I think using the term development can be misunderstood by people um, and maybe it's better designed for autonomy um, but the, yeah. because the development that we do is development that comes it's it's in that grassroots um, sense that everybody, everybody deserves to flourish. Everybody deserves to uh, the the kind of autonomy of creating their own worlds, their own directions, where you know where they want to where they want to go. And so the projects that I've worked on have really come from collaborations that I've had um, with people, um, connections through social capital of other you know other experts um, in the field. My colleague Sarah Corona I mentioned earlier. Um, but other people who are subject matter experts working. Um, I worked with a group that um, supported uh, families of people who immigrated to the United States when I was in Mexico. And, you know, one thing that, one thing that they, you know, they talked about, I mean, they were experts. They, I, doing field work with them really helped me learn about communities and then created connections to those communities and then created other design, you know, design opportunities. So I think when we look at design for development, the mission statement for that is really to bring, to bring design into communities, to work with people on problems that they, they actually have identified, problems they want to work on, problems that they are willing to kind of sustain and go forward with, but that where design can enter and actually make a difference. Um, in some cases, design can help leapfrog people from uh, the, the perception that, um, you know, a product that they might want to bring to a high-end high end marketplace, which might be the only marketplace, you know, available, because I was working in a, in a, in a really highly t- a touristic context in, in the Southern Mexico, Cancun, Playa del Carmen, the Maya Riviera, the the archaeological zones. It's like, how do you help people who have been discriminated against um, 
from entering markets and have been kept outside, how do you help them get into markets? And sometimes, you know, they have a lot of skills, but sometimes design adds that edge. So that's this kind of like visual face that it puts on it. But the, but the part about design there that's really important is that when you're working, collaborating with people, it's not about what I think the audience is going to want. It's what story do you want to tell people about who you are, what you make, what your product is. And that's, that's become really important, a really important part of um, that, that kind of process. And along the way, you know, doing field work and being in context, you start to understand and everybody starts to see what opportunities are. You start to, the, you start to develop more familiarity with each other. And then you can talk about a lot of different things that lead you to different places. That's very much in this kind of, I think, ethnographic framework where, you know, you're just being in the world. But being in the world and making those and, and cre creating those exchanges and creating spaces for those exchanges allows you to kind of develop and create new things. Um, so that's the I think that's the develop the development part of it. Um, my favorite project. Um, they're all my favorites. Uh, probably the one, that, probably the one that will always stand out though is probably the first one um, that you know that I really worked on from you know from start to finish, and that was uh, the Lol Balche Honey project um, because that's been going on for about twelve years and working oh, with a yeah the working with a a, um, a small cooperative that was really trying to. Uh, develop a local economy and also move away from um, move away from hierarchy the, the middlemen who were who were kind of lowballing on the prices for the honey they wanted to sell their good honey at a reasonable price um, where they could actually sustain people in the community so people wouldn't wouldn't have to migrate either to the Maya Riviera or to the United States or other places where there could, they could develop an economy. And I think that was really, that was really exciting. And that's had a lot of different kind of life cycles because at some point food safety experts came in at some point, other people saw, well, you know, do we want to join these cooperatives? And now it's evolved into a larger project, which is, um, I think a, a Kanan Honey, which is like a 10 cooperative uh, project. So that's, that's pretty nice. So starting with those kind of initial, you know, initial ideas of how things can grow, but also seeing that design, it's really slow design in many ways. It doesn't happen overnight, but there's a lot of evolution that happens during, during those years, during those processes. Yeah, yeah actually, um, Mira, Mira was probably how I really got to, got to Mexico, or one of the ways that um, I'm still I'm still there. But um, mm -hmm. as a designer, because I'm interested in visual culture, I am also and interested also in everyday life, um, and also in the machinations and the systems. I became interested in the systems of tourism because I was peeling back the layers of what the ads were, for example, um, that would, you know, that would sell Yucatan. So Mira is really centered in, in Yucatan, in, in that part of Mexico. Um, but Mira equals look. So Mira is a way, um, 
it's it's an artistic creative process, but it also um, includes in interviews and you know short ethnographies and experiences of how we understand the kind of preparations. Um, to prepare for tourists, what the economy is like. So it's bringing in all these really divergent facets. Um, mm -hmm. I have theories that I'm working on now, um, compiling of people just, you know, building, rebuilding streets, taking away the, you know, the tar has been taken away, the asphalt's been taken away, and now they're paving it so that it is a respectable street that's nice, nice and brick. So, you know, it's just much nicer for shoppers. So it makes it more attractive. It brings people here. So, but also like this, you know, the seduction of the beach, the seduction of culture. Um, it's really interesting. So I feel like Mira is a really close part of the work because it's a way for me also to help um, understand and frame how Mayanness is presented in Mexico. So when I am working with Maya people, I can also articulate the kind of stereotypes and understand the stereotypes that are framed about real people. So one of, um, not a work of mine, but a work um, I, you know, I, I love that I saw a mural um, in Felipe, the town of Felipe Carrillo Puerto, um, which is really, you know, it's like, you know, we're, we're not, Kind of, we're not a we're not a museum. We're a people on the march. Um, so I think that that concept is really important. It's like to, to not essentialize people and to to understand that culture culture is really dynamic. Um, oh, you in, in terms of what I'd want them to take away from design. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you know I think that like some of the really critical and amazing things are are the design thinking process, right? Um mm -hmm. and in in that sense of the kind of creative activities that can happen and the collaboration and how to start thinking um thinking creatively for themselves because I found people that I've worked with have been not all of them, but many of them have been in kind of spaces where they've been um, educated in a way that you you memorize things, um, you follow the rules, you actually have to um, do things this way. And I think it's I think when people discover that um, that the world is really open, and that they, they can create their own opportunities. I mean, a lot of people do, but I think the kind of design thinking, like how you can how you can apply that to like everything around you and just think differently and also to recognize the creative thinking that they are doing. I think that's been an interesting component of, of kind of designers working with people because, you know, when you go into a space, you can point out things that people take for granted in their everyday lives, but pointing mm -hmm. out, you know, what they're doing that is amazing um, and the assets that they, that they have in front of them and how they can keep on, keep on going is I think what design, design helps do. And it helps, I really think it, I've seen it help empower people. And so the idea that you can, you know, keep on going and thinking and thinking and doing that is really great. Um, well, I am working on a book project um, calling called Designing with People, 
and um, it is based on the based on the work in Mexico. And it's really um, my goal in in that framework is to just share with you know share with designers um, one one experience of kind of working long term in one way um, that's evolved, but in in a kind of space in a kind of cultural space. So rather than um, some books share like many different projects all over the place. This is kind of, you know, more like slow, slow design in that sense, but I'm really excited to kind of share methodologies. And, um, and also to push the horizontalness of it. I think that that is, that's really important because we have a lot of people trained already in corporate design, but we don't have a lot of people training, trained um, to be both culturally competent and designers um, to kind of work work with people on on the ground to help people understand and realize their own needs. So that's probably my my long term dream to keep doing, you know, pushing that. I think it's really important that we start thinking about how we train people in communities to be designers. That might be another goal of mine, um, more formally kind of in collaboration with other partners, because the point being that designers can be everywhere and they can certainly be within communities. And if they're in communities, there are a lot more designers to do the work. And I think yeah. they're, I think in this way, we need a lot more designers to do the work. So probably kind of diversifying um, how we how we have how we teach design education um, in in general and thinking about ways that um, people people in communities can actually do it. So my because my thoughts really about social innovation are um, everything needs to be sustainable. I mean, if 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 something is going to fall apart as soon as you leave, then it probably wasn't work worth doing, um, you know, in the, in the long term, because it, and it's this, I, I'm, I'm quoting a, a European male deceased philosopher here, uh, Wittgenstein, but I mean, there's, there's the there's <laughs> sense that, you know, if I think about this with my students, it's like, if, if I leave the classroom and they can't do the same amount, the same kind of work, without me there, then yeah. what, what kind of teacher am I? Um, and that for me is, is really important. It's like that, that idea of sustainability, that idea of, you know, that, that, that kind of te teaching, teaching up, teaching across, getting, getting people to be able to um, leave, being able to leave a space and being able to move into other spaces. And also because people will be spreading spreading ideas that matter and they'll be able to contribute to the development of our field. So that's, and their own fields and develop fields that we haven't even heard of. Um, yeah. So that's, that's pretty exciting to me. I mean, things that we just don't even know are possible. It seems like it's the, the pluriverse um, and design for the pluriverse is, is starting to finally, um, Congeal, I mean, it has, you know, I mean, it has a name, right? Um, the idea of pluriversal design. I think there's a lot of connections to other fields, like um, the areas of degrowth 
that are in the social sciences. I find I have we have a really fantastic center for Latin American studies, as I know Tulane does as well. And I think there's yeah. a lot of really great connections um, with people in those kinds of contexts, those kinds of environments that we can make as designers because design is so um, it's so inherently interdisciplinary. Um, I know a lot of people feel like we don't have our own stuff, but I, you know, I don't feel like we need, you know, we need our own stuff that's so proprietary to design. I feel like, you know, the more you can bring, bring into it, just, it's just amazing, you know, so it'll make it better. Um, so those, those kinds of connections to other, other, other people who are probably thinking in alignment with us are mm -hmm. really unique. Well, what an interesting listen that was uh, from Maria Rogal. Uh, I definitely learned a lot, and I'm excited to see what you have to say about it, Natalie. Um, what did you learn from her about design thinking and social innovation? Well, so Maria made a statement that I think captures the power of design, that design is part of a bigger system. It has the opportunity to influence that system. I really thought it was interesting when she also talked about design thinking in two different ways. One is part of the design process for designers and the other using design thinking to bring non-designers into the design process. I think the second way of looking at design thinking can help to possibly create more opportunities for designers and non-designers to work together equally and to also encourage the use of design thinking outside the field of design itself. What about you? Well, that was very interesting uh, what you took away from it, Natalie, and I thank you for sharing. Um, the thing that I took away from this interview uh, was that Maria used a lot of visual language that really inspired her in her work and how she, she, she grew up to be doing what she's doing now. Um, so studying abroad, she didn't speak the language and relied mostly on visual clues for her to get around. And that continued once she graduated. She uses a visual language to uh, move forward in her work and help her decide what her projects are going to be. For example, when she worked in D.C., she got to see how people use design to make everyone's lives better. And with that, along with her love for art and visual aspects of the things, it prom prompted her to investigate further, which, w which is what led her to the field of design. So I really took interest in what she had to say about the visual language and how that can help you with your projects and how that can help you interact with the world around you. So, um, Natalie, uh, what advice would you say that you took you took away from from this episode for us students who are non designers? What what uh what advice would would you say you taken away from listening to uh, Maria? That's a great question. One big piece of advice that I took away from this episode was that design and di design thinking are dialogic processes. Maria talked about that. The process doesn't happen along alone. They happen when working with others. And I think this is such a critical, mm -hmm. such critical advice in using design methods that you are never really working alone and constantly being in dialogue helps to discover the needs and wants of the group. It helps to tell the story that the group wants to be told rather than the story the designer or non-designer wants to tell. Well, what about you? I, I completely agree with, uh, with what you have, what you just said. Um, I think dialogue is very important in 
every single aspect of our world because if we do speak and we learn about each other's experiences that will help us understand each other each other better and that will help us get along as a uh, as a human race um for me personally one of the things uh she mentioned what was a, a quote from Nigel Cross uh, who was also one of her inspirations she says that we can think about design thinking as a facilitated process that we use to bring people into whatever project. And once people are in that project or in that space, um, we we tend to discover that a lot of people have a lot to offer, even if they're not formal designers. So what I took away from this was that design offers lots of connections, and those connections are really what's used to make design great. Um, in reference to what you just said, she did use the word dialogic, uh, and that design doesn't happen when you're alone by yourself in a room, but when you're out there actually having conversations and learning about people's experiences. She mentioned human-centered design, which is a different perspective from the other designers that we have listened to on this podcast so far. So I really, really enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, her thoughts on human-centered design and, you know, having design be a facilitated process, which makes it a lot easier for us to get work done and uh, you know, discover a lot of things about each other. Yeah, that's really great mm. uh, input, Max. Was there anything that Maria said in her interview that surprised you or inspired you? So one of the best things that uh, she said in this interview is that we should attempt to bring people together and create an environment when people are on, are on an even playing field and we should have everyone be together as one. So along with everyone sharing their motivations to better understand each other and to decide what path we should take as a collective, this really inspired me because we're at a very fragile state within our country with this uh, with elections going on and everything that's happening currently. And if we we would all take her advice, then we would be in a much better place. So she described the the process as horizontalness. So the horizontalness she described is very inspiring and should be something that we all should strive to achieve. Because if, we, if we're if we all on a level playing field and we see that we are just one, uh, I think that for sure would make our country and the world a whole lot better place. What, what about you, Natalie? So I also thought her concept of horizontalness and how she incorporated into her design projects was pretty inspiring. Um, I thought this overall was just inspiring in general because it could be utilized in other disciplines and should be utilized in other disciplines as well. Because like Mm -hmm. you said, it's about existing on an equal playing field by flattening out those power structures. And I think that Maria really understands the privilege she has and knows that she has an opportunity and uses her opportunities to actively decolonize her work. And that in every one of her projects, she's inviting and respecting other kinds of knowledge, regardless if it's credentialed or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes you question your own work, your own processes, and how you can better decenter what you know. So I, I totally, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with what you just said, Natalie. One of the keywords that you use is to decolonize her work. And I feel like as a society, we are still working on decolonizing and not just here within our country, but those African countries who were colonized by the Europeans as well. And uh, we are still seeing the uh, effects of that colonization. So I do think when she does mention horizontalness, that does help with decolonizing things and putting every single person on a pedestal that's exactly the same is 
is what is going to get us to, you know, continue to move forward as as the human race. So thank you, thank you for sharing that, Natalie. Um, yeah, no problem. Was there anything else you wanted to learn more about from Maria based on this interview? So one of the things she mentioned pretty early in this interview is that she loved politics growing up. And that is one thing that I really got me interested uh, soon as she started talking, because growing up, I had an interest in politics as well. I used to remember when saying when I was little, I used to say, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to be a governor or, or a senator. But as I got older, I kind of moved away from politics and started to focus uh, more on skills that, you know, I can use immediately in a workforce and that is what I'm what what helped me follow the path here at Tulane of getting a master in business analytics was moving away away from politics. So I would just love to ask her about, you know, how does she how does she incorporate politics into her work or if she does at all. And I would also love to ask her what uh got her away from politics and what made her not choose to focus on politics, even if that was her interest when she was growing up. So definitely not exactly, not necessarily what her political views are, but the reasons why she chose to move away from politics and to choose the field that she's in right now compared to, you know, what could have possibly been been done if she were to follow politics as a career path. So that's the thing that interests me the most. What, what about you, Natalie? Is there... Anything you wanted to learn more about? Is there any question that you would ask uh, Professor Maria Rogal if you were to speak with her even more? Yeah, so with a background in anthropology, one thing I really wanted to learn more about was when Maria had mentioned using an ethnographic framework within the design process. I know as uh, with my background that ethnography can be such a great tool and even within design that we've learned that ethnography is such an amazing tool to create empathy but I really wanted to know more how she used it in her own work. And she also, and Maria also talked about decolonizing her methods and her design projects. And I would love to ask her what a decolonized ethnographic framework looks like and how you would use it. Uh, just because ethnography had developed initially within anthropology and anthropology was a very, a way to use to colonize in other people. And so I'd like to hear more about how she was essentially using a decolonized framework in her own work. And I just really would have loved to hear her talk about that. Well, that's very interesting. It's it's awesome to see how we're both incorporating our backgrounds and experiences into, you know, hers and listening to her and uh, relating that back to what we've experienced as students. So thank you for sharing that with me, Natalie. And I have uh, one final question here today if you don't mind and then uh we'll we'll let you go so um how do you how do you think her work resonate with your experiences the work that you do within your discipline which is the field of public health and how does how does her work resonate with you your experiences your communities and your identity yeah that's such a great last question within my own discipline of public health i think Maria's work and design processes can be really utilized in public health needs assessments and program design, mm -hmm. that using a human-centered design approach like she talked about is critical to understanding what people need and how that works with the environment the group of people are living in to truly develop a more impactful public health program. And I also thought that with my 
own background in anthropology, opening up to other ways of knowing is also so crucial to just existing alongside someone as a human. We all have different knowledges and it's important that we recognize and listen to those knowledges because they are just as, as important as your own way of knowing. What about you? Well, um, thank you, Natalie, once again. Um, so with me, it's a little bit more difficult. I think that within my field of data, data analytics, a human-centered approach would be inefficient because we were taught to follow the, the numbers, right? So most of my work concentrate exactly what is the data telling you. We're, we're going to see what the, the numbers have to say, and then we're going to follow the path based on that. So we were taught that numbers never lie. And we should try to get as much information out of those numbers as possible. So you can take away human emotions like gut feeling or, you know, I have I have instincts and things of that nature. And we just follow what the numbers have to say. So I think it would be a lot difficult to incorporate a human-centered approach within my field. But it does come in in, in use when we're working together as a team for a project or, you know, if we do, we always going to have a higher hierarchy of people working in, in a certain company. So I think that comes into effect when we're talking about structure and we're, when we're doing group work. But mostly I do think that it will be harder to incorporate within my field, uh, but it, it can still be very useful. And so Natalie, thank you for uh, joining us here today on another episode and pre, uh, really appreciated what you have to say. And I found it very interesting and we hope to have you on soon. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this discussion. All right. Thank you, Natalie. We hope you enjoyed this interview from our Hello from the Pluriverse series. A special thank you to Arturo Escobar, the author of Designs for the Pluriverse, for opening the space for conversations about pluriversality in design. Many thanks as well to all of our interviewees, our Design Thinking student team, Ruby, Lupe, Delaney, Tran, and Wissal, the students of the Fall 2019 SICE 3010 class, Levante, Lucas, our editor, and the rest of the team at the Taylor Center at Tulane. If you have any suggestions for our program, please email your comments, suggestions, and questions to taylor at tulane.edu. And also you can visit our website at taylor.tulane.edu.